Zencaster's recording. Good for Zencaster. Zoom is recording. Good for Zoom. Good for Zoom. <laughs> Want a zoom, 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 and a boom, boom? We're not doing that again. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining another episode of No Driving Gloves with me, Derek, and Will. How's it going, guys? It's going all right. Will is obviously it. just, dead. Just, um, well, it, n- normally, you know, it's not just all right. You know, you say something and then pause and then you you go on about five more minutes. So I was just giving you your space there. Obviously, he has nothing. Wow. I have nothing. That's a first. <laughs> I have nothing. <laughs> Whoa be a short episode thank you everybody for listening and that was awesome join us again next week be sure to look us up on facebook instagram so let's jump right into this and see where we're at what's going on and uh now I wait i want chose... to know how will's doing this week how i'm doing yeah oh well you know just uh just a normal week they actually got started on our uh, new paint booth building that we were putting up so Hopefully, uh, in the next uh, month, that will be finished, and the new paint booth will be in there and operating and painting cars in our new side down draft heated Unicure paint booth. Didn't you just That's didn't you it. just build like a million square foot building, and then you're adding a not- <laughs> million square foot? Oh Lord. We built a 40 by 60 storage warehouse. So, and it's about finished too. We got all the shelving up. It's, um, it's got shelving that runs on their 12 foot by four foot shelves that run the uh, entire 60 foot of, of the building. And the center's open where you can get six cars in the center so um and then we're going to do a catwalk all the way around above so so you so you built a 40 by 66 car garage well yeah pretty much that'll hold six cars and you know parts of six or eight others that are being built you know in the shop so and you know within uh, a year storage facility Within a year, it's actually going to be another part of the shop, but right now he's calling it a storage facility. No, there's no way. I can't waste that much money in shelving and just throw it outside. <laughs> oh, man. It's expensive. See, obviously, shelves. Will hasn't walked behind his shop lately. I have plenty of room to expand. If I need to build another building, no big deal. I am not landlocked by any means, so... One of the one of the benefits to not being in Metro America, that and the lack of permitting. There you go. I think our building permit was, I don't know, seventy bucks, and it lasts for an entire year. I think I paid seventy bucks for my last one, and that was to put a portable building on my lot. <laughs> yes, yeah, I wouldn't have to pay for that. You don't have na- neighbors like me. So, but that—that's 
Um, I really don't even have neighbors at the shop, so you know. I was going to say, let's get us back on the it's car topic, but I guess building buildings for your car is car topic. So, yeah, there you go. Well, I think in the uh, draw the topics out of the hat, Ben, we uh, drew show topics. Ironically, a show topic about show topics, but. In prepping cars, what we do to get cars ready for various shows, you know, if we're taking it, you know, taking a car to a concours or taking it to a um, outdoor event or a racing event or, you know, a street ride event or displaying it in another museum or taking it to a parade, such, I don't know how many aspects we'll touch or talk about or really what the diversity is when we actually do take cars out of Derek and I's, you know, discussion museum or personal cars. And it will, of course, taking client cars and representing clients at various events, or again, taking his personal cars to, to events to more than likely to promote a shop because unfortunately, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, being a shop owner means no matter what you do, it's always work-related, especially when it comes to lowered cars on 26s. Easy now. I ain't never put 26s on nothing. <laughs> no, it's 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 um, it's always work. It, it doesn't matter if you're just going to a local cruise night in your wife's car or if you're taking a customer's car to compete for big awards, you know. It, I guess that's one of the drawbacks. You know, people always come up to me and say, oh, I'd love to have your job. You got the greatest job in the world. It doesn't matter if I go on the clock, off the clock, whatever. If I go to any car gathering, car event, if somebody there knows what I do for a living, you always get asked and you always get approached and, I think we've had our wine about our job shows. You know, you're like you said, you're you're always working, you know, and you're always representing whoever's signing the front of your paycheck, no matter if you're there in street clothes with you know, your beat beat up tempo. It's just you're you're always always on the clock. So it take it takes some of the fun out of it, but it does open a lot of doors. So Derek's been very quiet this evening. Let's go ahead and throw the ball into his court and see where he tosses it back to. But how do you uh, get cars ready for shows, whether it be uh, whether it be one of your personal vehicles or be something from one of your employers, Mister Derek? So I have yep, to go you're, first. You're going first. Your topic. Your penalty. All right. Oh, well, how is this my topic? Oh, because I texted about it first? Yes. Uh, Well, um, as, you know, John, as you just said, and and I'm sure Will experiences it too, um, you know, anytime you go out, especially with a car from the museum world, um, be it any of the museums I've worked at, you're always on the clock. You're always the face of the museum. Um, so you're always trying to represent it in the best light and, and you don't want, and one of my big things, and I'm sure it's come up on episodes before, um, you know, I think we've talked about various aspects of our jobs, but 
I always want to make sure that no matter what event we're going to, be it a concours, be it a parade, be it um, a racing event uh, such as like the Goodwood Festival of Speed, you know, you always want to make sure that that vehicle is is running correctly. It's going to do what it needs to do because really the last thing you want to do is have a breakdown or have a, a major mechanical failure in front of a crowd of people. And, uh, but, you know, I, I know I've said it in the past, uh, I think when we were talking about, I don't remember what topic we were on, but educational value of uh, especially early cars, sometimes they just stop running <laughs> and it's, nothing that you've done. It's not a major mechanical failure. It's just life of an early car. So, you know, get cars ready. I mean, we always try to bring them into the shop. Uh, I mean, I normally, if, it, if it's a car that hasn't been running in, you know, years, basically in, in my tenure with the museum that I'm at at the time, uh, you know, I usually try to give myself two to three months with a car. And that way I can really go through it, check things out, um, you know, do all the necessary tests I need to do, go through the brake system, go through the lubrication system, just every single step of the way to make sure I know that things are going to go right when we hit that ignition key or crank start it. And, you know, hopefully everything goes right and things run correctly. So... You know, there's a whole process I kind of have developed and go through um, when I do these, and it depends on if it's a car, like I say, that's been running in the past, recent past, let's call it. And, uh, you know, all we know, you know, we know that all we have to do is fill it with fluids and just kind of do a quick check of all the systems, hit the brakes, make sure things are going right. There's no fluid squirting out somewhere and pump up the oil pressure and then we could get the car running all the way to like I say the car that just came off the museum floor it hasn't run in 20 years and we got to tear the oil pan off and check everything out and take a couple months to really get that car going so there's there's kind of a deep process to go through or there's a quick process to go through based on you know what what the situation with that vehicle is in the collection and then of course after we get the cars running working the way they're supposed to work and all that we we do all the cleaning too you know we want to present a clean car a car that looks good and represents the museum well at the event or show and, uh, so, I mean, those are, those are kind of the steps. And uh, I mean, I, if you want, John, I can, I can go even deeper. Do we want to get into every kind of step of the way? Because there are a lot of things we do. And I don't know if, you know, the barber does some of the things that I would do at, you know, the Henry Ford at the Crawford now at the national Corvette museum. Um, but I mean, going all the way into fully draining all the fluids, and, you know, cleaning those systems out, doing a lot of times mineral spirits flushes in the, the transmission, the rear end, uh, you know, to get all the old gear oil out, get new, fresh stuff in there, brake fluid the same way, you know, we're draining, pumping out the old fluid, 
putting new um, silicone brake fluid in, dot five. Uh, that way we don't get moisture getting attracted into the system. All those kind of details, too, are really the way we go through the cars. You have a much more formal system than we do. We, you know, we, we select a vehicle and part of, and I know your, your facilities are the same, but part of what our claim claim is, is that everything we have is, have on display is, can be made to run in an hour. Uh, realistically, it's a couple hours on anything by the time you get it off display, a little bit cleaned up, some fuel in it. But with the kind of the regular rotation and the way we, we keep vehicles and we kind of preserve, preserve them before they go back on display, you know, we'll, we'll get a vehicle out. Uh, the reason we have a racetrack attached to our museum uh, and really the entire reason we have a racetrack attached to the museum is being able to exercise the vehicles and make sure they operate. And it just kind of depends on what level of show or what level of exhibit we're going to go to. If we're just going to do a parade, we have a, let's say with cars, we have a set fleet of six cars that are always kept running. And basically you walk over, climb in them, push the starter button, turn the key, however it takes required to start, and away you go. Uh, getting ready for, say, something like Amelia Island Concours or Pebble Beach, there's always months notice and something like that. So it's very careful decisions on what's being made. We know what, or what's going, excuse me, what what is going to the show. And then we make very, you know, strategic plans. We look over the, the piece, whether it be a car or a motorcycle or uh, just whatever, and make sure, find out what's wrong, what needs to be improved, what may or may not fail like you said you if you go to say amelia or hilton head or any of the concord and you win something and we always go with the intention of winning something uh the car needs to be able to or the motorcycle needs to be able to start ride go across the podium accept its award and drive away with as little embarrassment as possible you know there's you always see the cars at various concours that overheat while they're waiting in the parade line to go up and get trophies and that. And that's an issue with concours is that they stage the cars too far in advance and you do get some overheating, but there's nothing worse than vapor locking or you know anything. The, the vehicle has to run and operate. So we're a little bit more careful with that, making sure that, like I said, everything's correct. Everything's updated. Things on display in a museum in a general public setting, though sometimes pieces get, we'll say pieces come up missing, uh, scratch may appear, uh, j just little things you overlook. Um, we make sure tires, especially if we're going to be demonstrating on a, uh, on a racetrack at whatever event or even at our own events when we demonstrate things, it's it doesn't matter. We, we usually... I'd say splurge, but it's not a splurge. It's a necessity. Put tires on because it might have been a couple of years since that that vehicle, you know, covered five or ten miles. And with a two two and a half mile racetrack, three laps, four laps, you've got ten miles on it. And we do push, even though you're 
even though we're on a display parade situation, you've, you've got to do a good show. So you run the car a little bit harder than maybe just a gentle weekend cruise. So you've got to make sure the tires are set. You know, it's just, it's going through making, you know, making sure everything's correct, making sure that information on the, the uh, vehicle hasn't changed. Uh, you know, somehow somebody's researched something and they found out that something should be blue instead of red, you know, whether it be spark plug wires or whatever, you go through and you do a quick overview of that, do a quick checkout. And then I'll honestly say we probably spend more time prepping our trailers than we have to the cars because trailers are always that forgotten thing. Um, you know, they're used, they're a tool, we use them, we take the, the, you know, take the car out of them after an event and then it just goes and gets parked in its shed and forgotten about to the next time it's used and, you know, it just gets loaded up and we, you know, make sure there's air in the tires and the tires are good and away we go. Uh, you know, we do have the standard safety kits, jacks and spare tires and that for the trailer. So don't, don't think we're just, you know, r running blind on it. But I think a lot of time spent getting the trailers ready and getting, and get, getting some of the support stuff in place more than the actual artifact. Yeah. And I'm going to, I want to jump in, John. I want to jump in because, you know, there's some things I wanted to hit on that you just talked about. You know, trailers working backwards from where you just left off. Trailers always key. You know, you're hauling your, especially in the museum world, you're hauling sometimes uh, priceless artifacts, one of a kind cars, things like that, that you want to make sure the trailer is always ready to go. And, you know, that's a big part of, of uh, what we do in, in preparations as well. But I'm going to I'm going to jump back to, you know, you mentioned, you know, and, and you know, we try to have everything operational in collections. <clears throat> I usually try to use the term uh, functional when I talk to people, because as I always say, operational leads visitors to believe you can literally jump in the car on the floor, put a key in, you know, hit the ignition and it'll fire up. And of course, we store things a little differently than that in the museum situation but i think the the benefit of the the barber museum uh and say the national corvette museum yeah i when did the barber museum open john what year the museum as we exist right now that museum opened in 2003 the barber Museum 501c3 came into existence in 1995. It was a much smaller facility um, in a different area of town, did not have the support racetrack in that. But effectively, you can say 2003 for, for the complex that everybody knows. Right. So the, the, the point I'm getting at is the collections, a relatively new collection of, of vehicles. It's, it's been since the nineties that it's been, let's say been really being heavily collected for, uh, same with the national Corvette museum opens in 1994. Whereas, you know, I talk about cars that haven't maybe run on the floor in 20, 30 years. That was a big, big issue at Henry Ford museum and the, the Crawford Henry Ford museum. The collection started in the 1920s, the Crawford, it started in the 1930s. And there were cars on the floor that 
I knew had not run in 30 years in some cases in those collections. And at that point, that's where, you know, we, we love to say that, you know, we can have the cars running, you know, 98% of the collection is operational. And as you say, John, it is true. You just have to give us time to work through the collection and get those cars ready to run. And then they are at that point where, you know, day in and day out or year in and year out, we can pull them off the floor, go through them in a few hours or maybe a day and have them up and running and ready to go. And one benefit of, say, the Barber Museum, the National Corvette Museum or Henry Ford Museum, I'll lump that in there as well, Barber and National Corvette Museum, we do have the good fortune of having the racetracks connected essentially to the museums and we are able to run the vehicles on the tracks, make sure things are going right with them. Henry Ford Museum, the great thing there was we could actually take a lot of the cars out into Greenfield Village after, essentially after hours. And we basically had, you know, blocks and miles of various streets that we could drive around on inside the village and test the vehicles that way as well. So, you know, that is, that is beneficial. And that's kind of, you know, I think where we're headed with this is in the museums and it's, it's a big misunderstanding. I think that the general car world has is that museums don't take care of the vehicles, automotive, you know, collections they have and the cars just go there and die. And it's not the case, you know, John and I both, it's, it's about, having the collection ready to operate and ready to go for these type of events so that we can go out, participate in them and show the museum, the collection and that specific vehicle in its best light. So we'll obviously Derek and I are coming at it from a museum standpoint where our stuff is restored at some point in time. And maybe 10 years later, we have to get out and use it. What's you know what your stuff you, you build i guess and it's right to the shows and then you send it home with the guy and you never see it again right uh yeah it's pretty much the direct opposite of what you guys do um yeah we want to make sure, the biggest thing like derek said in one of the very first things that he mentioned was everything needs to be ready to go you don't want to show up at a show with a car that is not fully operational and operating correctly. Um, and that's one of the things that's really tough on our end because generally we're finishing the car the night before it, it it's going. And to be honest with you, most of the time they're really not finished at the show. They're just show ready. They're not, nowhere near go home ready or road ready or anything like that. Um, we're, I'm just going to use this gold 32 Ford that, uh, one of the last, you know, bigger cars that we had out, we finished the car basically the morning before the morning that we left to go to Nashville for the good guys event. 
Um, the award that we were competing for was Good Guys Hot Rod of the Year. Well, Hot Rod of the Year, you you debut the car there. Well, it don't have to be debuted there, but you show up at, at the show, um, and then you go on a 100-mile cruise through Nashville during the middle of the day on a Friday. So right before we left, I'd put one, I put two miles on the car. <laughs> that was all I had on it. So you have to really put a lot of trust in your ability to really just shake a car down sitting in the shop in situations like that. Lucky enough, when, when we did that, uh, we didn't have any problems at all. I mean, we, we showed up and, you know, we did our, we did our hundred mile cruise, you know, we stopped, you had certain stops you had to make and, you know, they put a sticker on your windshield and then you had to make a pass down the drag strip and, you know, the car performed, um, I'm not going to say flawlessly, but it, it, it made it through it without any trouble. Um, so that, that's one of the nerve wracking things about prepping for a, a show like what we do is, uh, and, and that's not every time that was just, uh, you know, one, one incident there. Um, and then, you know, we got other shows that we go to where, you know, say the car has been finished, you know, it was, it was shown two months before and we're going to another show. It's, it's a, it's a little more relaxing. You know, you, 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 you know what the car is going to do. You know what it's not going to do. And the good guys operates a lot like y'all are talking the concourse does, where if you do get an award and like you said earlier, John, we don't, we don't show up expecting not to get an award. You know, we show up expecting to get awards, especially with a fresh build. Now, if it's a car that's a year or so old, uh, we're not expecting anything. Um, but just like Columbus good guys, their biggest event, you know, they give out, I don't know, hundred, 150 awards. And if you're in the back of the line, you know, that's a long time to wait and sit there and idle and it's always hot. Oh my goodness. It's always hot in Columbus. So you better, you know, you better have confidence in your, in your, in your car that, you know, it's not going to sit there and run hot. You know, you can idle up through there and everything's going to be fine because there ain't nothing more embarrassing than getting in front of that crowd to get your award and, you know, your car run hot or, you know, something goofy happened. So yeah, that's, that's number one. You got to make sure that your car is ready to live up to the hype that you've created around it. It's got to be clean. Uh, everything needs to work. Um, one of my biggest things about everything working is you want to show that car off. So if a potential customer comes up to me and is like, oh, how does that work? You need to be able to show them and, and it worked properly. So, and if you go to a show like the Detroit Autorama and you're competing for the Riddler, you know, they judge your car open you know hood open doors open deck lid open they judge your car you know closed up and if there's something really cool that you you did that's a custom touch 
they want to see it operate. So one of the crazy things on, on the green dart was the quarter glass. I know it, it, it looks really simple, but the car was shortened two inches there um, in the quarter panel and the roof was wedge cut. And we actually made the quarter glass larger than it was on the factories because we, we had the, um, the seal on the quarter glass, not on the door glass. So the, the glass was actually a good bit bigger. And, you know, we wanted to show them how that operated. And, you know, they were pretty impressed by stuff like that. So, so that's, that's one of the big things. Everything needs to operate properly. Um, and then our trailers are always right behind the shop. We have a covered awning that they sit under so they're not in the sun. Um, you're not worried about tires dry rotting or rain sitting, you know, <clears throat> them, them leaking or anything like that. So, um, but we always have a DOT inspection done on our trailers every year. Check the brakes and, uh, you know, make sure nothing's broke. And so they're, they're always sitting back there rocking and ready to roll. Um, so I, 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 I do the, the trailer maintenance just so it's just a peace of mind that if something comes up, cause I never know. I mean, I've got guys that I've built cars for all over the, you know, the Eastern side of the United States. If they call and they're like, Hey, Will, you know, something's wrong with my car, blah, 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 blah. I want to be able to go get it. You know, I like doing the maintenance on the cars that, that we built. So, you know, trailers are sitting there ready and each trailer has a cleanup bag. It has jacks. It's got jack stands. It's got a tool kit, you know, so I don't have to worry about loading all that crap up. When I get ready to go to a show, I throw the car in the trailer, hook up and I'm gone. So it just, it just cuts down on a lot of confusion and a lot of checklist and crap like that. Just put it out there and you're ready. That's, that's pretty much the, the gist of us getting ready for a show. Just the car needs to be clean. Car needs to be fully operational. Um, trailer needs to be ready and clean. Truck needs to be ready and clean. And, you know, just get it ready and go. Uh, one of the things that I'm kind of OCD about is when I go somewhere, if I've never been there before, I want people to think that I've been there before. Just, I'm not standing around looking with my thumb up my butt, figuring out what's going on. So I do a lot of research on what awards are going to be given away at this show. Where's trailer parking at this show? You know, where, how far is my hotel room from the show? How do I get from my hotel room to the show? If traffic's backed up, what's an alternative route? You know, so that's, that's one of the things that I do that most of the guys in the shop don't realize I do is I really research where we're going, what we need to do. Uh, I even research restaurants where we're going to eat at, you know, that's just less stuff you have to worry about once you get there. Cause if you're debuting a car there, you never know if you're going to be, you know, asked, 
a magazine to shoot your car or, you know, Scotty D wants to shoot it when we're going to shoot it. Uh, and a lot of that plays by the weather. So, uh, you just, you get, you need to be prepped in every way, shape and form. So if something does happen, it's not chaos. You just move on to the next step and keep on rolling. Well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say something here and it, and, and maybe it's a, a gripe about, about car shows, uh, mainly or namely possibly some of the concours, but it sounds like Will has this problem too. And something I've found, especially at the concours, because I've, I've spent some time obviously at those mostly with very early cars is I think sometimes no matter how hard we prep the cars, I mean, especially when you're dealing with a, a horseless carriage or brass era <clears throat> type car. I feel like some of the car shows, uh, concours don't always think ahead or plan out for those type of vehicles because there's nothing worse. Those cars just don't like to cool, uh, unless they're actively driving down the road. If they're set up as they were from factory originally a lot of guys will add uh, like an electric fan behind the radiator or something to try to make more air move especially when it's just sitting but it's very common for those cars especially large engine uh, early cars just to be sitting in a hot environment to overheat very quickly and it, it drives me crazy that no matter what you do to prep them if you're sitting there with even if you get the, you know, retard the spark. So you're not getting a lot of stress on the engine from sitting idling at an advanced spark position. They're going to overheat. And, and I, it's one of the things that I feel like no matter how hard you prep, I wish the concours and some of the car shows would prep as well to make sure that their attendees can move their cars quickly through a line, get them onto the field, into position. If you're going up to the awards, you know, it's a quick process of start the car, move the car up, maybe have one or two cars ahead of you, and then go through, pick the award up, and move on. So I, I think flipping this, I'd like to go from, yeah, we do a lot of work to prep the cars for the show, it'd be nice to see the shows do some more prep in thinking about what type of cars are coming to the show and how they can make life better for them, for those vehicles and their owners while they are at the show. And, and I'm just going to throw one thing in here. I know John's already said, you know, the Barber Museum goes to a show, you know, hoping or anticipating the, the possibility of getting an award. Obviously will, you know, you're a hot rod shop doing some extremely incredible work. And, uh, you know, you guys are always anticipating that award and, and, you know, getting that award winning car, uh, kind of the, the museum world I've been brought in, you know, or uh, brought up in, I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, you know, 
when we take cars to a show, be it at Henry Ford Museum or at the Crawford, now at the, the Corvette Museum, we actually typically go, uh, I actually mark non-judged on the uh, um, application form. And we're there just to support the show, uh, be an educational component to the show as a museum. And, uh, you know, I feel like museums, uh, you know, we're, we're not really there. We sh- we're not striving to get an award. You know, the awards are really for the guys that uh, either the shops that are building the cars and, and restoring them and hot rodding them, or it's for the guy that has restored the car at home and does the best job he can and wins an award. So in, in kind of the museums I've been in, we typically don't go for the award. We go just to be there and support the event and, and be an educational aspect within the show. Yeah. We, when, when we do local shows and, and, and smaller shows, we, we elect to not to be judged or, picked for an award or something like that as well. And we go, we go to the bigger events. Um, you know, our customers really enjoy the competition and, and I do too, you know, the, the competition's what's fun. Um, it ain't necessarily if you win or not, it, it's just seeing what else is out there and, and just kind of being in that area while the picking or judging is going on. Uh, there's just kind of a cool air about it and, and, and talking with the other builders and, and, and their customers. And, uh, you know, that's, to me, that's what I get enjoyment out. And, you know, I tell, I tell my guys that, that work for me, you know, we're not going to shows to, to win awards. We're going to shows to win customers. So, you know, if we don't win, you know, don't let it bother you. It's it's not the end of the world. Um, there's been more times, probably than not, where the best car at the show didn't necessarily win. Um, and it's just you know that's just how how this works sometimes, um, especially when it's more of a picked award than a judged award, because the the guy picking whoever he is or he's going to pick stuff that, that he likes. And if you didn't build something that he liked, you may not get an award. And, and that's just, uh, that's just how some of it is. Um, so it's, it's not about winning awards to us, but, um, it's, it's a little icing on the cake and it's really good for the, the customer that we built the car for. They, they kind of look at it as like, you know what, that's, that's, that's almost worth it. <laughs> so, uh, do y'all generally compete, John, or y'all just there for more of a exhibition type, type of thing as well? It really depends on the, the event, the invitation, how everything's going. Uh, take for example we've went to amelia island in the past and we've been invited to say fill up the pick a nationality motorcycle class and they specifically ask hey can you bring this motorcycle and this motorcycle and this motorcycle because they want the you know 
to fill the class and they know exactly what we have and what they want in that class. But then we might actually take three more motorcycles. So we'll quite often take just exhibit only and pieces to compete with, uh, depending on if we go to, say, if we go to the Lotus Owners Gathering, a lot of times we won't enter that car in the the, the judging. You know, there's people's choice, but we won't enter any of the concours classes and such there. Uh, that's not, you know, we're there to support the event and support the club. We're not there to go home for a trophy. But if we're going to Pebble Beach and we've been, you know, been invited or we, we excuse me, we requested to be there. Yes, we're, we're going and we're going to attempt attempt to win. I guess it, it just really depends on the situation and while, why we are there. Uh, you know, sometimes it's to promote the museum. Sometimes it's for educational purposes. And sometimes it's to compete um, to win a trophy. You know, we went to the uh, went to Pebble Beach the first year they uh, opened a class for motorcycles. And we went with the intention of winning that class. Uh, you know, the bike we showed was for that purpose, was um, actually restored for that purpose. And we won the class. And then a couple of years later, uh, we skipped the next year. We went back again because everybody said, why weren't you there the second year? And we chose a different motorcycle and it was refreshed. Uh, it had been a previous restoration, but we went back through it and touched on it, you know, everything on the motorcycle and we won the class. You know, there were, there was that intention to do that, you know, um, it's kind of embarrassing and it, maybe it sounds very arrogant, but when you are thought of as the best motorcycle museum in the world or the largest motorcycle museum in the world, we kind of take it personally if we don't have the best exhibits and winning your class help, helps feed that ego. But, you know, it, like I said, it's not always about winning the trophy. It's not always about, you know the purpose we're invited for, we ask to be, or we're, when we're invited to an event, we, we try to fulfill that. When we go to Goodwood, um, we don't go every year, but we go to Goodwood quite often for either the uh, revival or the Festival of Speed. We're not there to win anything. We're not there to get the fastest hill climb speed, fastest time on the track. If we actually, you know, we don't vintage race, but we... We're there to support the event and usually support the you know the guest of honor or the the reason that our cars were invited, whether it was to honor John Surtees or whether it was for John to drive our cars or whether it was to you know for Dan Gurney or something. We our stuff st you know goes there for for the purpose that's invited. So. It, it, it really, like I said, it just kind of depends on the event and you, you weigh each case on a case by case basis. And we're invited to a lot more things than we can go to because we are a 501c3 nonprofit um, and money is limited. And we, ha we have to look at the return on the investment if we're, you know, we're actually going to, if we're going for promotional purposes, we know that, you know, say going to Goodwood, if it costs, 
X thousands of dollars out of pocket, even with an assistance package by them. We know we're never going to get that much money through the, the the door back, but the exposure and that people know about us, things like that, it, like I say, it, it, it's all a fine wire when it comes down to a business. Uh, personally, if I'm taking a car to a show, if I'm going to go race, I'm going to win. Like I say, why I don't race cars because I don't make enough money to win. So, <laughs> hey, when when y'all are invited to an event, so Barbara's invited to an event. Does the people hosting the event pretty well cover your expense? You know, hotel travel stuff like that, or is that something that comes straight out of your guys's pocket? It depends on the event, it depends on what they're asking for, and it depends on your ability to negotiate. Um, obviously, the event wants to get you there with as little out of pocket as possible, and obviously, we want to go with no money out of pocket. And it's always, it's always a fine balancing act, and whether or not we can play, you know, we can find advantages or disadvantages and scenarios that can help the event. I mean, we're not, uh, say we're invited to Goodwood. We're not going to say, Hey, we want air freight on the cars and we want our, or the motorcycles and we want first class lodging and we want tickets to everything. And, but we might say, Hey, you know, you're looking for this car, but we've got a car, you know, we've got a car say at classic team Lotus being restored and this scenario has happened. And we've told people about it. And they want the car at Goodwood. So the car goes from Classic Team Lotus in England to Goodwood, and that's its first public debut or exhibition. It helps out Classic Team Lotus. It helps out Goodwood. It helps out us. And then when it's done, Goodwood ship, ships the car back for us, and we don't have any shipping costs. As opposed yeah. to them you know, potentially paying for a car to go there and come back, they're only paying one-way shipping. We're saving the shipping, so then we can send two people over to support the car, even if we pay for that out of pocket. And we're really not out any money because it was going to cost us two or three thousand dollars to ship the car. So, yeah, every scenario is different, and it re again, it really comes down to how well you can negotiate. You know, if you're invited and they really want it, they'll give you more. If you're invited and it's just kind of a favor because you knew somebody, they might not. And I know some people that have just written great big checks because they want to participate in that event and they're not invited. You know, it's it's just a matter of circumstances and um, it's the it's one of the rules I live by. You know, what's it hurt to ask? You weren't going in the first place. So if you ask them and you upset them to the point they say, well, you're not coming. Well, you weren't going in the first place. And, exactly. if, and if you ask them and they say no and you're still going, what'd you lose? Then if you ask them, yeah. if you say yes, well, so you won. So right. never be afraid. Is is that basically the same for y'all, Derek, at the Corvette Museum? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the way of life in a nonprofit museum in a, in a 501c3 we don't tend to have large budgets uh, for events like this, things like this. So H Henry Ford Museum at the Crawford, here at the Corvette Museum, anytime we get an invite to a Concours, 
any type of car show here at the Corvette Museum. We do a lot of the Corvette shows that are around the country. And in a lot of those cases, you know, with the, the Corvette shows, a lot of times we'll do it just because it's exposure for the Corvette Museum, but the clubs also support us. You know, so a lot of the Corvette clubs in the U.S. are supporting clubs to the the National Corvette Museum. So it's it's kind of our way of saying thank you to them as well for what they do. But when when it comes to some of the concours, things like that, as John said, it's 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 a case by case basis, and it's really about negotiating. You know, they they want you there because it also shows that some of the significant museums in the country are attending that show, which looks good for them. And, but it's also, we want to be at the show to be recognized as being at that show, but we don't want to spend a lot of money to do that because we don't have a lot of money to do that. So it's always that negotiating point that John talked about where you just got to do the back and forth, do the dance and say, Hey, we, we'd love to climb. We would love to come to the show. We've got this car, this car, or this car that we could bring you. Know, what fits best in the classes you're looking at? Oh, and you know, what can you do to help us get there? Because we don't have the budget this year. Or, you know, we don't normally have the budget to get to this type of show yeah. and start negotiating. And like John said, if they say, well, we can't do anything, you know, we weren't going to, we weren't planning on coming anyway in the first place. So no skin off anybody's back. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of shows out there that actually uh, help us get there. Um, you know, they don't necessarily cover all the expense, but you know, they'll give us a little travel money and, um, you know, give us a free, uh, vendor spot if we want it or something like that. So it's, it's always nice when someone wants you there and they're, they're willing to help you, help you get there. Um, that just, that really means they like what you do, like you as a person and, and like what you're bringing, you know? I was going to say that's kind of covers a little bit about show prep and getting there and maybe even trying to figure out a way to get to the show for free, depending on the type of vehicle you have or, you know, what, what you could play on the invite scale. Um, I'd say on the flip, uh, going more on that, uh, back when I was in the for-profit world, you know, we, we would restore cars and people would want to be in certain events, whether it be Pebble Beach or Amelia and you end up helping them with the application process and that, but they do do write the check to get the car there. They do write the check to for lodging, and it's all out of pocket. So it's a little bit different depending on what you have uh, car-wise, what you're wanting to do, what the feeling of the car hobby is. And one car I restored, we were the first car of this particular type of vehicle that had been restored in 25 years and really, when we started to apply to put it into shows, people didn't know what it was. And today, if we were to apply to put that car in shows, it would probably be invited and be comped into shows because over the last 15, 18 years since our restoration was done, that car has become popular again, has more than 
I would say quadrupled, but probably even went up five or six times in value. And I don't even know what the OOPL words are for that. But it's the the, the whole uh, hobby around that particular vehicle has changed from day one. And, you know, that's a risk you take when you're breaking new ground in, in restoration or the, you know, the collector car hobby in general. Uh, you might have a perfect GNX. But, you know, nobody's going to comp that because, to be honest, it's one of 500 and there's 500 more available to show. So it's just it really depends on what the car is, what it, you know, that's kind of alluding more back to that for-profit world or the individual where I think more of our listeners fall into. I mean, Derek and I, when it comes down to it, do have the dream jobs of being in a museum and being in the 501c3 world and the nonprofit world, it really aids you in a lot of negotiations because it, it there's benefits on everybody's side. And our mission statement isn't to make a dollar. Our mission statements in short, both of us, both our museums have mission statements that are a paragraph long, but in short, it is to educate the public and expand the hobby. When you're, Charter basically requires you to spend every dime that comes in the front door that year. Um, you have a little bit of, um, I want to say freedom. You have to be careful with it because you can't spend more, but <laughs> you have to spend every dollar. So do you disagree with any of that, Derek or Will? Or I think we might go ahead and wrap up this episode for the week. We're approaching that 60-minute mark again, I think. No, I mean... uh I think it was a pretty good coverage of it, and uh, you know, maybe we uh, educated some people on a few things. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered everything. I mean, prepping, we might not have got into really deep, deep discussion on actually prepping the cars, you know. Yeah, that could go really, on forever. Like, <laughs> going in there, that could go in, yeah, way too long. But a, a quick discussion on that, we, we talked about making sure your trailer's prepped. And uh, and then talked a little bit about going to the show and and trying to, you know, weasel your way into maybe some, you know, help get in getting into the show. So, uh, yeah, I think we've uh, pulled back the curtain on many subjects this evening. Well, then, with that said, we'll thank everybody for joining us again this week for. No Driving Gloves. Remember to check us out on the uh, Facebooks and the Instagram. Uh, give us a like, give us a follow, and uh, be sure to tell your friends about the podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. Later. See ya. Later. <laughs>